at some point yesterday or the day before, I spoke about um, meeting life generously. And I thought to just explore that a little bit more in terms of looking at generosity as a, as a factor of liberation. Speaking about generosity in the way we were speaking yesterday about those things that conduce to freedom. Buddha speaks about generosity as what he calls the foundation of happiness. Speaks about it as uh, the basis of Dharma practice. Of course, we could speak about many different qualities as the basis of Dharma practice. We could speak about mindfulness as the basis of Dharma practice. We could speak about suffering as the basis of Dharma practice. Nobody comes to this practice because all is well in their world. So in some ways the basis, the beginning of some interest in this is because well, what's going on and how I'm meeting it doesn't feel okay. And I have some sense that there's a better way, a truer way, a freer way to engage with it. The Buddha often uh, spoke about generosity as a foundation of practice, maybe because it's something we actually all have quite easy access to. We know what generosity is. It's actually something that to a, to a certain extent passes quite freely between us. We, we like to help each other. I know. When we see a friend, oh, how are you doing? Can I, do you need a hand? Can I help? We, we know the movement and the act of generosity and we know the 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 goodness of generosity. And we know the way in which there's a kind of a, a, a warmth, a beauty, a goodness, a rightness. We're glad. We're glad to be of service. There's a joy, that happiness that the Buddha's speaking about. A generous heart, an open heart, a responsive heart is a foundation for a certain kind of well-being, a delight, a gladness, etc. And we could, we could, like we could with many different qualities that we might explore, we could look at the whole um, unfolding of our practice as a kind of the, the purifying or the perfection of or the development of the generous heart. Which we might, in the sort of way we speak about practices being endless, pointing to a, a boundlessly generous heart. And in a way, that sense, the, the quality of the heart is really the measure of success in our practice. We were speaking this morning about uh, the, the, the limitation of intense or profound experiences. And the way in which early on in our practice we can be seeking for or trying to get intense or profound experiences. 
And of course, they do come and can be uh, provocative and insightful and helpful. But actually, if we just want profound and intense experiences, this is rather a slow and dull way to get them. Many faster and more efficient ways to get intense and profound experiences. You can think of your own. Fasting will provoke intense and often um, interesting and profound experiences. Psychedelics will provoke intense and profound experiences, etc. Though the, the success of our practice isn't about collecting intense and profound experiences. The success of our practice, we, we see, we find, in the growing inclination towards love, generosity, kindness, care, and in the growing capacity to love. We sort of think we know about love. Oh, we know about love is, love, love is great. Right? Yes, of course I want to be loving. But love is a capacity. We, have to, we actually have to learn how to love and to love more fully, more expansively, more unconditionally. Because love also hurts often. Right? When love meets the, the, the painful, the difficult. And then in the next moment, love has a quality of delight and wonder to it. And actually both sides of that we can get kind of uh, caught in. When, we haven't, when it's not the art of love or an expansive love. We can get caught in the things we love. The, the activities we love, the people we love in a way that we call love, but actually it's more just about excitement plus gratification. Often, if we look closely, that's what we're calling love. My excitement plus my gratification. I love you as long as I'm getting what I want all the time. And when that starts to, when I'm not so sure about that, when my uh, pleasure and gratification isn't getting met, then I'm not so sure, actually. I still might say, I love you, but there's usually a but afterwards. And similarly, when love hurts, when we're confronted by uh, the, the tragedies of our world, close and personal, or societal, or ecological, or whatever, like we were hearing just now, it's easy for us to get caught in that hurt, to feel despairing, or shut down, or overwhelmed in some way. And to attend generously to our experience, that quality of generosity means there's a certain non-preferencing. To attend generously means to allow what's here to show up. And what, what shows up has that whole range of flavors. And like uh, we were hearing about sometimes irreconcilable flavors. One might be confronted in one moment by the, one, the, the love of, in the form of appreciation, gratitude, 
for the one's extraordinary good fortune. Mm -hmm. To be here on retreat, to be enjoying the sunshine, or even in regardless of particular pleasant conditions, sometimes just, wow, struck of the blessing of life. Struck by one's material good fortune, struck by the, the good fortune of friendship or relationship or material security or whatever that is. And sometimes I'm very struck myself by the, the wonder of the blessings of my life. And then in the next moment, so I'm reading The Guardian in the morning, oh, struck by the tragedy and uh, disaster and cruelty and oppression and racism and bigotry and all the stuff that you know as well as I. And it's easy for us to get caught in setting those things apart, in them feeling irreconcilable. So I'd like to just explore how the generosity, how a certain goodness of heart, expansiveness of heart might be able to reconcile those things. Not just in the feeling life, but in the, in the way we're able to respond. And generosity isn't just a feeling. And it's a response to life. It's an act of the heart as well. When we speak about the, or in the tradition, when it points to the, what's called the perfection of generosity, and it's a disingenuous word because it doesn't mean that we arrive at some perfect state but more what we might call actually the, the refinement of generosity, the clarifying of the heart. And one of the, the it's what's pointed to that is firstly that sense of that generosity is that which has no expectation. Right? Generosity is that which offers, gives, supports, responds without thinking what's coming back. Mm, the generosity has no, no measurement, right? And it's not the concern of how much is being offered, how much support. And as the generosity is refined or clarified, there's also no self-referencing. So these are the things that drop away, right? The drop away of an expectation of what one's getting. The dropping away of a measuring, an accounting of what's being offered. And the dropping away of the making about how generous I'm being, what I'm doing, how good I am, how spiritual I am, etc. And Though those things might sound beautiful, uh, idealistic, right? as soon as we talk about the perfection of, there's a sense of idealism. It's not to suggest that we should wait for su that perfect motivation. It's not to suggest that unless there's no expectation, no measurement, no self-referencing, then it's not really generous. We have a lot of opportunities in our life a lot of opportunities to 
engage the practice of generosity. It's not about some encouragement to try and be a good person. It's not the encouragement of a moral sense. It's, it's that sense of, oh, the practice of generosity as a foundation for happiness. And without self-referencing, it's not so much, oh, I'll be generous because that's going to make me happy. It's a foundation of happiness in a more general sense, in a mutual sense, in an interrelated sense. And in terms of the integration of our practice in what we call retreat setting into what we, the wider sphere of our life, what might be, what better way to consider that integration? Not so much in, oh, how much time can I meditate every day? But what are the ways, what are the opportunities for me to practice generosity? Where can I be of support when the different resources that one has, the offering of one's care, one's attention, one's time, one's listening, one's money, one's, uh, you know, the, the, the range of resources, one's skill, and of course, what those really come down to, whatever the, so the uh, sort of things that we're offering, the offering of one's heart. Where can I offer my heart? Where is it wise to offer my heart? And we can look, like I say, in those sphere, in that wider sphere of our life. We can look in the, what we might call the outer practice of generosity. Where can I offer my heart? Where can I be of service? Where can I support? Where can I listen? Where can I care for what's happening around me? And the opportunities that there are, the opportunities that arise And these days, this is the sphere of our life. And many of you are engaged with uh, important work, service work, humanitarian work, voluntary work, right? ways and expressions and areas where you're offering your heart in the wider sphere. And in the way we were speaking yesterday about this being a practice of putting our life under the microscope, then we might ask that same question these days, right, in this sphere. How can I attend generously to my experience? So that we're not making some division between outer or inner. It's the same movement, it's the same offering, it's the same care. Just like in the Metta Sutta, those of you who are familiar with the Buddha's teachings on goodwill, kindness, there's that image, a very beautiful image, of um, cherishing all beings, so it's described in the outer sense, as, as in the way that a loving mother would cherish her only child. And the way one can use that, Im- that image, oh, especially a child in distress, those of you who have children or you have nephews or nieces, you know the kind of holding a young child needs when it's in distress. It doesn't need doing something to it. It doesn't need calming down. 
needs just a kind of gentle, caring, reassuring holding. And, and the distress starts to come to rest. And respond, the child responds to that caring, gentle, reassuring holding. And in that same way, that's given as an outer care or offering, in that same way, that's how our experience longs to be held, needs to be held. How, that's how our distress, our anxiety, our, um, our fussing, our agitation, it wants to be held. Like, oh, there, there. So that it can start to soften, relax, feel the, oh, the caring embrace that it's held in. And in just the same way that that expression and that image of metta can be equally applied outwardly or inwardly, well, the same too to this movement or practice of generosity. And so in, the, in this sphere of our practice these days, and just to consider, what would it be like if you were meeting whatever you're noticing here through the days, in the meditations, in the informal moments. And so those three categories that I just explored. What would it be to meet your experience without expectation? Without the idea that something particular ought to or ought not to be happening. What would it be like to meet what arises without the expectation that it should stay and grow or that it should stop and disappear? What might that kind of generous holding of your experience, what might that offering of the heart provide for your practice? (coughs) What might it be like to meet your experience without measurement, without the sense of how much. How much am I present with the breath as against how much I'm not? It's not a relevant question. If one hasn't been for however much time, the moment of noticing that, oh, it's just a moment of opportunity. How long? should I sit for? How long am I sitting for longer or shorter than the people next to me? All that kind of measurement that shuts down our practice. What would it be like to sit, walk, be with that inclination of the generous heart, that intention to, that practice of not measuring your experience? not measuring your practice, not measuring yourself. What might that generous meeting of and handling of experience offer your practice?
what might it be like to meet what arises with the intention to not be self-referencing all the time, to not be making it all about me, my experience, my meditation, my needs, my wishes, my time, my space, (coughs) my heart. Maybe even in the intimacy and immediacy and closeness and poignancy of what's happening, maybe this, whatever, whenever, however this is, isn't actually about you. We often hear teachings about generosity. And I think it's an unfortunate orthodoxy of this kind of tradition that as soon as we hear hear the word generosity, or the Pali word, you might be even more familiar with dana, lots of stuff about dana written outside. But it always seems to be linked to something about, oh, we hear the word dana, oh, that's the bit where... Give some money to Gaia House and give some money to the teachers. And, and that's important. I will be asking for, for that at the end. Right? But it's unfortunate that the linking of this foundation for happiness, this inclination of the heart, this expansive possibility, this generous handling of what's happening, this constant opportunity for cultivating boundless generosity gets just so linked to the idea of donations and financial support. Of course those are important. If there wasn't financial support, Gaia House wouldn't be here. If I wasn't financially supported, I wouldn't be here. But let's not reduce this foundation for happiness to some idea of donations. As I, was re- as I was walking this afternoon and just, and just reflecting on the theme of generosity, it also struck me in how that orientation and the orientation of the wish to be generous with experience, gentle, kind, open, available to experience, is a corrective for a lot of the things that people identify with as being their main problems. What's the, what are the things people identify with as main problems? Number one, stress. God, we hear so much about stress. And uh, no doubt you can recognize yourself, that sense of stress whether in your life or here, which is hard to find any less stressful conditions than just wandering around quietly, sitting quietly, food arrives, bell rings, have a rest. (laughs) And yet, the way one can easily feel, and when I say stressed, I don't just mean in the sense of the kind of overt sense of overworked and harried in that way, but... Stressed really means tight, 
contracted. And all the ways we find ourselves habitually caught in the knot of contraction. Stressed by our experience, contracted around experience, tight with experience. Generosity. Generosity. To handle that generously, gently, kindly, conduces to an expansiveness. Right? Again, we know the experience of generosity. You can find in your own knowing, in your own memory, how to be generous. <coughs> oh, it expands the sense <coughs> of being here. One feels expansive. Generosity is expansive. An expansiveness that corrects for contraction. And then depression, despair, discouragement. On the whole range from the kind of clinical end of the spectrum of depression to the possibly mild or possibly more intense ways you felt depressed while here. Has anyone not felt depressed while here? <laughs> okay, good. Well, one or two. One or two. I remember once I was in California staying with a friend who's a Dharma teacher. And uh, he said, uh, he was reading the paper, he said, this is unbelievable. He said, it says here that, uh, I can't remember the exact statistics, I think, I think he said, it says here, 40% of Americans experience depression at least one day a month. He said, only one day a month? Depression, depression can certainly can have a sense of taboo to it, and I'm not necessarily referring to the, the kind of clinical end of the spectrum. But just a depressive oh, sense of mild, maybe, or sometimes intense sense of hopelessness, helplessness. When, when, I, when I look at the news, I feel depressed often. So, and then the question becomes, well, how do we engage with depression? Depression, discouragement, despair, we all know those. It's part of the human condition. It's actually a sign that the heart's alive in some way. Right? That there's a feeling response. And sometimes a very appropriate feeling response. And yet, how, can, how we engage with that makes the difference. What might it mean to engage with discouragement, depression, generously? We're discouraged by the state of things. And one can practice generosity in that direction, whether it's sending a financial donation, whether it's, as uh, quite a lot of my friends have been done, involving um, putting together food trucks and driving to Calais and starting kitchens. Now, there's not a single government agency in Calais. And there's not a single one of the uh, normal non-governmental agencies. The Red Cross aren't there, Médecins Sans Frontières aren't there. It's basically hippies 
with trucks and tents, feeding thousands and thousands of people in the mud in European winter with no facilities. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And what does one do when, one heart, one's one, when one's heart breaks? Well, one can respond, one can activate the generous heart. And then what that conduces from depression and discouragement and despair, that conduces to a sense of capacity. The essence of despair and discouragement is, oh, I can't. Whether it's despair at the state of the world or whether it's just the depressive collapse of one's own mind state, I can't. I can't be bothered. I can't manage. I can't do. Generosity is the practice, the energy, the movement that transforms I can't into I can. I can. I can respond, I can do, I can support, I can offer. The situations that we find ourselves collapsing around, there is always something that we can do. And again, just in the context of being here, that orientation of the heart from hopeless, can't manage, can't meditate, can't concentrate. Okay, so what, what can you do? How can you offer support to yourself there? So that that engenders that sense of capacity and a certain confidence, a certain buoyancy in life. I from otherwise the sense of needing, needing support, I can't manage a need, to that sense of, oh, I, I can support. So it's, 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 one falls into the whole of I can't, dot, 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 I can't manage, I can't meditate, etc. And maybe generosity is that which which can pull one out of that. It's very interesting. Again, we know, we know this from generosity. When one offers support, in whatever form, when one offers uh, listening, when one offers attention, when one offers uh, a donation, one's cultivating that sense of, I can do something. I can support. That's the foundation of happiness the Buddha speaks about. It's a beautiful feeling to feel, I can support. Alienation. It's another very common uh, sense, whether again, whether on a more kind of societal spectrum of the way people feel alienated culturally, societally, or whether it's just on the, ver the more immediate and personal spectrum of how in a group of people one can easily feel alienated. How often we hear people, oh, one looks around at everyone else as if there's such a thing as if everyone else is some homogenous group of meditators that includes everyone in the room except me. Right? Everyone else Blah, 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 fill in your own gaps. Everyone else seems to be peaceful. 
Everybody else looks mindful. Everybody else can meditate. And then some sense of the way we reinforce a sense of difference, disconnect, alienation. Generosity conduces to interconnection, mutuality. Oh, here together. Here together. Rather something beautiful about that and actually something very potent about the fact that we're here together. There may be times when you've been very touched by the fact that we're here together, when you felt the support of everyone else. How long would you have lasted just sitting and walking if you were just here on your own? Right? Oh. And yet, not only are you receiving the, the support of others, but you're one of these here together. Your presence here is providing that support for others. So we can, we can incline our reflections, our understanding, our heart in that direction. Sensing the mutuality as a corrective for alienation, difference, disconnect, aloneness, loneliness. And we all know stress of contraction. We all know the darkness of depression. We all know the, uh, the, the, the disconnect of alienation. And have that opportunity to meet those things, to meet ourselves, to meet experience to meet each other generously. What is a way I can offer? How can I support? What way can I give? In all those different spheres, outer, inner, what does it mean to meet this moment generously? How can I handle this generously? And like we were hearing earlier on, that's not about a technique, right? Doing a generosity meditation. It's a process. It's a refinement. It's a clarifying of the soul, of the heart, of the understanding, of the habits. And it's a process that works by inclining in that direction. Inclining toward generousness as a foundation for happiness. Yours and mine and others mutual happiness, interrelated happiness, mutual support, interrelated support, mutual kindness, interrelated kindness. We need that. We need each other. 
generosity will wake us up and be of best service to ourselves and each other and all of life. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.